Hi, this is Spider-Man, and I'd love to stick around and listen to amazing spider talk, but Madam Web just told me Doc Ock is about to kidnap Mary Jane Watson, and well, a spider's gotta do what a spider's gotta do. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle, all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Mark, what's going on on the Chasing Amazing blog these days? Uh, not much. Not much. So, uh, But it, I'm still the founder. That doesn't change regardless of its inactivity. It, it'll be there for perpetuity. I need to do a Chasing Amazing blog reread. Just start over from day one and work my way back to the moment that you gave up and joined my site. There you go. <laughs> You'll find four years worth of kind of inconsistently posted content. Uh, my favorite. Yes. So we're, we're passing the two years of inconsistent content on my site. Well, yeah, but your, your, your site at least kind of has a core mission where, you know, after a few years with mine, I was just like, I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about these books. Maybe I won't. I, don't, I give up. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for the 15th episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. Speaking of inconsistent content. Yes. Uh, well, we hope you guys enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, and for this episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 15 by Dan Slott, Christos Gage, and Giuseppe Comancoli. Then we'll respond to your comments and emails. Issue 15, Dan, so this thing might surpass Volume 3 for longevity, it appears. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we've just got... kidding. Reboot. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've got we had uh, solicits today even for Invincible Iron Man number one coming this fall, which Yay. I feel like we just got. So are we getting uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one this fall after uh, uh, Dead No More or whatever we're calling it? Uh, who knows? Clone conspiracy, Dan. Clone conspiracy. All right. Well, I'm going to have to adjust to that. Well, there uh, we go. I hope you all uh, enjoyed listening to the previous episode of the show where we previewed some of our members-only content. Mark and I needed that week off to kind of get everything back in gear. Um, But, uh, yeah, that included an awesome discussion about interviewing Dan Slott. That wasn't actually an interview with Dan Slott. So I hope you guys enjoyed that in some form. Uh, Mark, uh, do you remember recording that 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 episode? I did. That was my first exposure to Alan, and, uh, you know, I was happy that we did it, you know. Although we still haven't met for lunch, and we need to do that. So, Alan, if you're listening, which I know you do, lunch, man. When are we doing this? 
<laughs> this is like writing in the sky, meet at our familiar place or yes, whatever, yes. with the human torch. Well, uh, you know, we got a lot of exciting content to talk about today, so Mark, let's not dawdle any longer. You keep saying you've got something for me, something you call love, but confess, you've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin'. And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you all righty, Dan. So Amazing Spider-Man number 15. This was the conclusion to uh, the region arc. This, this arc had a name, didn't it? And I'm, I'm, being, I'm being kind of silly about not remembering it. What, it, what was it called? It was called Power Play, Mark. Power Play. There, oh, that wordsmithing again. Um, so, you know, D- D- Dan, you and I weren't exactly bowled over by the previous installments of Power Play. Um, you know, I, I I felt that this last chapter was a step in the right direction, but it also might have been too little too late. And and it, it suffered, I think, from an overall issue with the main antagonist, which is just Regent. I mean, Regent, we thought, was kind of dull and, and not compelling in Renew Your Vows. And I can't say anything about this new story has changed my opinion on him, right? I mean, I think I was a little more favorable than you were about Regent early on. I thought there were some interesting things being done with him, especially uh, you know him setting up this mantra. And, and I even commented a couple episodes ago that I thought it might be interesting if um, this story ended up being like a commentary on uh, mantras and how uh, – I guess, like, inflexible they are and how per- perhaps wrongheaded they can be to establish. And then I think you sh- you and Brian both shot me down saying, yeah, but that's, like, every single Spider-Man story ever. And I think, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but the epilogue to this story, the kind of lengthy epilogue, kind of, like, tries to do that really inelegantly. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you, Mark. Regent, kind of a snooze. I was hoping that there would be more potential here for him. But, uh, yeah, I think it went down the same path as Renew Your Vows in, in more ways than one. Yeah, I mean, we even – not to jump around sequentially here, but, I mean, we even had a call out to Renew Your Vows in this issue where they were like, oh, it's like deja vu. And it's – you know, we've been getting that kind of comments, meta commentary a lot in these stories. And I don't know. It, it, it's kind of cute. Here and there, but it certainly seems like Dan Sot likes to point out how much he recycles stories, right? Yeah, I mean, like, one time would be cute, but, like, now that we're doing it every story, whether it's, you know, this Spider-Man is like Iron Man, or this is a retelling of Renew Your Vows, or this is how superhero team-ups happen and and play out, it seems like it's less cute and more than it seems to be, like, a writer trying to ask for excuses for his rehashed stories. And uh, I think I'm kind of running out of 
you know, I guess patience, patience to uh, like or forgivability in regards to these excuses. It's like enough with the excuses. Tell us a real story. Right. I mean, for fans of community, the TV show community, I kind of feel like Spider-Man is sometimes being written by Abed. And it's like, you know, this this always never ending need to comment on what's been, you know, on something that's meta. And, and, and you know, I think. I think Dan Slott actually pulls a lot of inspiration from community. I mean, that, that is the birthplace of crazy town banana pants after all. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, let's, let's, let's find a new, a new trick for that pony, so to speak. But, um, talking about the issue itself, um, Dan, I'm not going to lie. I kind of, when this solicit first came out a few months ago and we had that, that it's a stunning cover by Alex Ross with MJ in the iron spider suit. I'm not going to lie. I kind of dreaded, oh, my God, what is this going to be? Is this going to be like another one of these instances? We, we complained about it during Spider-Verse most specifically where, you know, some random character, not that MJ is random, but, you know, some character that really is has no business saving the world ends up like saving Peter's behind. And, you know, he has to be eternally grateful for the non-powered person for helping him out. Um, and I mean, we got that to some degree here, but I actually thought the way MJ was used here in superhero form was, was pretty effective. Do do, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, first of all, I thought they did a good job setting up why this would like rationally work in this world in that I guess she wore Iron Man armor during the other, which I, I remember, although that's quite a bit of a deep dive <laughs> I, yeah. I was half expecting them to go remember in renew your vows i did this yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no uh it was from the other and then the spider island thing so you know i, I believe this and i like that mj continued to assert that this is like a one-time deal like don't get used to this uh and you know the action that she took in this, she continues to fight against Regent, but really she's just acting as a facilitation or a facilitator, I guess, for Spider-Man and Iron Man breaking free of the Regent's grasp. So I was glad that she wasn't the one to take down the Regent in the end. Although I don't think you could really claim that Spider-Man took down the Regent either. So. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, step forward, step backwards, but I thought that was handled well. And um, a special note, um, you talked about the Alex Ross cover, um, which I guess is standard now. Right. Uh, I like that the cover and Common Coley didn't play up Mary Jane's, I guess, assets, if you, if you will. Right, in the uh, suit, yeah. She wasn't super busty. It wasn't like a sex kitten superhero, like... She was allowed to have some kind of agency of her own without just being a superhero with boobs, um, and, <laughs> and I like that. Although towards the end of this book, we get the obligatory and absolutely unnecessary, you know, underwear shot of Mary Jane getting ready for the day. I guess, and you could argue that Peter's in his boxers as well, but he also has a shirt on. Uh, I don't know, so. Again, one step forward, one step back, we get a non-sexualized Mary Jane only to get a sexualized Mary Jane. Yeah. Well, that, you know, like you said, it, there's some – you take the good, you take the bad. But, I mean, I, I, I really was kind of thankful that 
we, I, I, I never was under the impression that MJ had everything under control here. This was kind of her going in, into action was kind of a Hail Mary pass to, um, you know, like you said, to facilitate Spidey and Iron Man and, you know, the, the fact that they brought up her background in doing similar things. I think this was justified. It was, it was well executed. The art was good, as you mentioned. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll take it. I mean, you know, these, these are the, these are the positive steps of this issue. Um, I like, I, I liked that there was a panel where she had like a brief aside to herself in smaller lettering where she was basically like, this is basically a suicide mission and they're really going to owe me. And, and that really did a lot for me, like to kind of humanize her. And I right. think whenever she's on the page in this book, all the characters read like, the right characters like Spider-Man reads like Spider-Man and Iron Man reads like Iron Man and Mary Jane reads like Mary Jane. And like the book stands out the best when she's on the page. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of, of books standing out, I, I, I'm still, I still continue to really enjoy what dance has been doing with Harry Lyman. Um, I mean, obviously not as prominent as a role in this one, but again, like, you know, now here's a guy who has masqueraded as a costumed villain um, or hero, depending on what story you're reading. Um, but, you know, again, he, he, he was kind of captured, found a way to break free during the melee. And, and I felt never kind of got over his head in terms of the situation. And, and, and I kind of liked that level headedness. Um, I, I don't know. Harry has been of this volume, one of my favorite of the supporting cast characters consistently. I think he's probably the most consistently well-written. Um, and, and that wasn't different here. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm not in love with the like whole clash app thing. Yeah. Mainly because I feel like this book often trades in this kind of cheat where it's like, Oh, there just so happens to be a clash app. Yeah, can solve my problem for me. Many, many MacGuffins, many MacGuffins. <laughs> yeah, but it's not even that. It's like it doesn't seed that earlier in the story. It's right. there's no there's no you know gun. Yeah, it's yeah. just like oh, suddenly he has a gun in his hand. You know, yeah, like, yeah. The uh, gun just fired. What gun? Yeah. Gun I've had. A gun I've had since Act One. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, and on its own, I think it's fine. But like, there seems to be a preponderance of of these guns. <laughs> and uh, and after a while, I'm like, I would really like to like feel like that's a payoff for something, but eh, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? But um, so the fight with Regent was kind of the the what we've come to expect the anticlimactic fare that we've been getting a lot in these slot arcs over the last couple of years. I mean, anything about the the battle that you thought was notable or I mean, it was just kind of like another yawn fest and anticlimactic for you. Well, I liked some of what comic did during the actual battle itself. There's one panel where Peter is like standing on one hand before he like flips himself into kicking Regent. And I thought that's kind of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, Regent, he's not interesting, but you know, it's fun to see him kind of use all these powers. I like the, there's one image where he, is like the human torch. And I liked how that was rendered by common Coley. Um, and I, I thought there was some fun moments with miles too. Like when they break him out and Peter makes that joke about, uh, like the action figures no longer being mint. And I, I thought that yeah. was a little clever uh, yeah. and it was a nice drawing. How about you? 
No, agreed, agreed. I mean, I, I, I mean, there were some moments there, but you know, Region is essentially defeated off panel, and like you know, like all of the Avengers kind of clutter onto the page. It just didn't feel momentous um considering how this guy was making them eat their lunch an issue earlier you know like and yeah i mean you know this is superhero comics this is this is what happens the hero saves the day but i i don't know they could have been built up with a little more suspense yeah i agree and i think the real miss is that full page splash from common coley like you said the heroes are just cluttered onto the page it's really like the least striking visual in the whole book when it really should sell you on the overwhelming power of those heroes and, uh, you know, standing up against region, but they're all very small in the frame and they're all very cluttered to the left with this big open space to the right. And there's like a weird perspective thing where some of the characters seem to be like looking at Regent, but yet they're closer to us than Regent is to me. It was like one of the like weakest bits of art that I've seen from Common Coley in a while, and I really felt like it needed to be that really, like, standout, you know, especially since he's defeated off-panel, I wanted to buy into that fact, and I, I felt like I re- it really was not communicated here. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about kind of this ultimate moral that came from the region's defeat, this kind of, you know, the lessons learned, so to speak, and and... Um, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I like it when a story can be reflective, but I also don't know if this moment was totally earned because at really no point, I mean, Hey, you had the foresight to bring it up a couple of ish episodes ago, but I mean, in the text itself, did, did you really feel that we were building up to this kind of, Oh, this is where regent went wrong or his hubris got the better for him i mean you know what i mean like it just kind of like i feel like he was he went from being this well-meaning person to being like a mustache twirling villain bent on world destruction very quickly um with no middle ground yeah well the funny thing is like to me this story would have been fine in like a one or two issue arc but when you stretch it out over four issues you know i feel like dan slot you know, he he has a really hard time kind of structuring these stories. And to me, this story is missing a second act. It's mm-hmm. like, here's the ideas, here's the ending, and none of it is earned. And to me, this reminded me a lot of uh, Spider-Verse, where it was like, hey, here's the setup. And then by the end, we're supposed to believe that Peter learned how to be a leader, despite seeing none of the evidence towards that. And you can like the idea that Peter has learned to become a leader the same way you can like the idea that Peter learned a lesson about not losing himself in his work, which, I mean, on a side note, is like the oldest Spider-Man lesson in the book. So, like, kind of boring. Uh, But, yeah, I I agree with you. It's totally not earned here. Um, it's not earned and, you know, it's that old thing, you know, as my college English teacher would say of, of telling and not showing, um, pretty, pretty clearly, um, there's no question that this was not shown in any kind of meaningful way. And yet I kind of liked 
the the sentimentality of that gathering of the friends and Peter being like, I need to do this more and we need to be together and and Jameson ribbing him and oh don't he's not my stepbrother, that's weird. I mean like I liked that and I want to see more of those moments. Um they they just need to be better earned, right? Well the funny thing is I, I feel like what you're talking about, like this ending was like the answer to all of the things that we wanted and have commented on during this story, like, oh, maybe it'll be a commentary on mantras. Maybe it'll be a way to bring back in the supporting cast. And we even asked, like, why is Peter suddenly, you know, interested in Mary Jane when he hasn't thought about it? And they even say in this, he's like, oh, I, you know, I waited too long and I missed out on Mary Jane before I knew it. So in a way, it is like an answer to all these things, but again, like you said, it's just not not earned at all. Um, and yeah, I love this ending to a completely different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like this is not the sentimental story it appears to be at the very last few pages. It's um, like if you ran a marathon and then someone gave you ice cream and you're like, yeah, I like ice cream and it's a suitable reward, but it's the last thing I want at the end of a marathon. That's very true, Dan. That's a good analogy. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Um, um. <laughs> I, speaking of analogies, I wanted to get back to this whole – We last time we talked about this kind of gun control mm. metaphor and I couldn't help but think about it again in this issue and I wonder if – you thought about it as well, but there's this whole conversation in the middle of the Regent battle about like how far, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, like what about those without powers? What can you, you know, are you going to take away their guns and weapons and whatnot, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't think it's an accident that this kind of language has found its way into this book. Although, again, the weird thing to me is it seems very anti gun control in its. In its message and knowing Dan Slott being completely the opposite, I, I just – I continue to find it really interesting. Um, I, I don't know. Am I, am I reaching here? I mean to me it's like, oh, this is the second issue in a row where I thought about this. No, I mean that that makes sense. I mean there was definitely a sense of where will this stop, which is certainly you know for, for people who are – I don't want to say anti-gun control but aren't strict gun control advocates, you know, is a, is a question that gets brought up a lot. I mean, you know, how far can you go? I mean, you know, yes, we could ban these things, but what, what about due process, et cetera? I'm not going to get into the whole debate, but you know, you yeah. know, you, you know, we've had this conversation then offline. Um, and it is odd, or I shouldn't say odd. It is interesting that Dan is kind of, Dan Slot is kind of posing this debate in, in, in not even very subtle terms. And, and I, you know, maybe he's not aware of it, but maybe he is. And he's trying to be nuanced and complex about it, regardless of what he's tweeting about, because, you know, it makes for a better storyline. I mean, you know, it was an, it was an interesting question to be raised during the course of this story. So it worked. So, you know, that's good. If a, if a artist can kind of, put aside their beliefs and make something, make an interesting argument regardless, right? Yeah, and, and this is the kind of thing that makes this story more interesting to me than something like the Zodiac story, which the Zodiac story seemed, you know, it was a big, fun, 
you know, uh, like uh, action thing. But here, at least it seems to me like there's some thematic ideas going on. They might not be, you know, resolved in an interesting way, but at least there seems to be something else going on beneath the surface. And I think that's a, it, it seems like it's kind of a low bar, uh, you know, for, to expect from art, but you know, uh, I was happy to see that resurface, and I wanted to kind of mention it, you know, before we moved on. Okay. Um, are are you satisfied with that, or do you? Is there anything else you want to say on that point? Not really. I mean, other than getting into a discussion of like fascism in comics, which you know could be a whole other episode. It's just something to kind of keep an eye on, and you know, I, I'm always interested when pol- politics, in a weird way find their way into superhero books. Well, well, fortunately, this isn't the Frank Miller comic book podcast, or else we would have a lot of fascism to talk about. Or, uh, or the Spider-Gwen annual podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, so what about this thing with Jameson Sr.? Well, you know, before we get to that, I, I, I wanted to talk about this kind of reunion, because there's kind of an interesting moment where we, the book teases us that, like, Peter is going to, like, renew his friendship with MJ. Uh, and it like kind of plays off of our knowledge of Spider-Man and, and our knowledge of comic books as it kind of puts them panel after panel, you know, mirrored with each other. And then we get this thing about like how, you know, I don't drink alcohol and that could very easily be Peter. And when you turn the page, it's Tony Stark. I don't know. Did did you get a, have a reaction to that? Yeah. I mean. It seems like certainly since the end of Superior and even earlier than that, that I don't know, like, like that is a, that's a toy that Dan Slott doesn't want to take out of the box right now. Um, I think we kind of had that moment in Spider Island, um, but we're not really going to go back to that well. And, and that was kind of, to me, I saw that scene as him kind of being definitive about that. Like, okay. You know, you had Spider Island, you had Renew Your Vows in this alternative universe last summer, but but this is not happening in any shape or form. I mean, you know, maybe they'll be congenial to each other in public, but other than that, this is not a, a long-term bond per se. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for me, I found that relieving because, like, I want to move the character of Mary Jane out of this kind of, like, forced limbo where she, it's like a will she, won't she. When it's very clear she's not going to get back together with Peter, I mean, I, I just can't see editorial approving that. So I'm glad to see her moving on. But I can understand why readers would find that page turn to be kind of an emotional gut punch and kind of emotionally manipulative in, in a way that in, – in a negative way considering how much Marvel has kind of teased that and made money off of – kind of teasing the Spider-Man-Mary Jane relationship. Um, so I can understand the emotional reaction tied to that, that page turn. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. But like you said, it's, it's time to move on, people. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we get like a brief kind of reconnection with all of Spider-Man's supported cast, which I think we both kind of agreed was really fun to read. And, and for me, I thought was um, really kind of the emotional warmth I, I, I wanted back in, in this series. Um, even at the coffee bean, that was fun to see. Absolutely. Uh, 
And then, of course, it's all, you know, coffee is quite goes, bitter. Yeah, I would say it all goes to you know what, Dan. Uh, <laughs> you know, is that Jameson luck, I tell you. There you go. There, there you go. And but, uh, I, but what I did find interesting was he was kind of coughing up blood at the end, and we had that, that scene with May in the previous issue. So, I mean, are we being led to believe that this is a natural illness or is this an illness that's going to feed into something in the clone conspiracy dead no more story? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be a natural thing. It could be poisoning or something that's going on in their house. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean – on the surface, I don't – I mean the only reason I would think something weird mystical is going on you know, is because I know Dead Mo- No More is coming. Sorry, the clone conspiracy <laughs> is coming. But you know, uh, on its surface, I'm wondering you know, are the two of them ill together? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Well, it was certainly a gut punch of an ending, especially considering all the sweetness and sentimentality. But – um, again, there was an effectiveness to it because now you're kind of like you're braced and you want to see, you do want to see what happens next, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm really. It's a, probably one of the best cliffhangers I've seen in this book in a while, and you know, I thought Common Col- Common Coley's art was really haunting. There, I mean, I look at that image and I, I kind of wince. I mean, like Jameson does not look good. No, no, it doesn't look promising. So, you know, we'll see if he's upgraded to. Alive and playing tennis in the first page of the next issue, you know, like, <laughs> oh, you know me, I just like to cough up blood and collapse into a fit on the floor. <laughs> Sounds like your Uncle Ben. There you go. <laughs> you know, don't don't joke. Um, do you want to get right to the review to the letter grades, Dan? Yeah. Well, I mean, one one quick shout out before we get to the letter grades is I want to say this is the return of the letters page. Oh boy! Uh, in this book, I don't know. I don't know about you, Mark, but I love the letters page. Just as kind of like a historical check-in, you know. You can see what people are thinking about the book. Not that this book has published like negative responses in quite a while, much less published a letters page in quite a while. But like, I don't think we've seen a letters page in this volume. Period. Uh, so I'm always pleased when it comes back because it used to be a staple. Of the Spider-Man books. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I, I kind of find myself reading the, the letters page depending on where I, what I'm feeling about the, the series itself at the time. And if I'm not in a happy place, I don't know if I want to read the letters page. <laughs> Why? Because everybody is genuinely in love with the book when you read the letters page? Yeah, or, or, or at least those are the letters that they choose to run and those that aren't, they, you know. They tend to run the angry version of maybe a more reasoned argument, you know. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, well, uh, grades, I'm giving this one a C plus. And I'm right there with you, Dan. It was slightly above average and nothing says slightly above average like adding a plus to a C, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, well, I guess it's time to move on, Mark, and let's talk about our fan-submitted comment and emails. Yes, Dan, we, we love to hear from you, our, our wonderful, beautiful listeners. Um, best way to do that, of course, is to email us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com or to tweet at us with the hashtag OK to print. 
Uh, leave us a voicemail at 9RedGoblin. We love that voicemail system. And, of course, uh, leaving us comments and ratings at our iTunes and Google Play and all those other pages where you can download our show and subscribe to it. Um, so speaking of which, our first comment, Dan, why don't you, why don't you read it for us? Well, actually, this seems to be a re-comment because I know that this person has commented before. So take what you will from this. It's Papa Jonah Pizza. Oh, man. And uh, he gets... I'm feeling hungry. There you go. I'm actually starving right now, Mark. Uh, Okay. A little little bit of behind-the-scenes action. Let's say you're three hours behind me, so that makes sense. All right. Well, uh, this one's five out of five to top-notch Spidey Talk. Uh, I've been listening since their first Superior Spider Talk podcast, and this show just gets better and better. Not only is the discussion between Dan and Mark intelligent and inclusive, the show is full of humor. Mark's swarm impersonation had me laughing out loud. So there you go, Mark. Someone like your, your swarm. I mean, what do you mean? What do you mean impersonation? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, 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 I my mistake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the host's love for Spider-Man and ability to discuss comics with insight, sophistication, and a sense of fun has me tuning in every week. It's so good they should start selling ad space on the show. Oh. Hint, hint. I- I'm guessing people are not loving my continued plug of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. And I, I, I'll take that to heart. That's, that's a good thing to note. Perhaps you would rather brief ads than me trying to get you guys to support us on your own. So I don't know. Something to consider. Yes. Well, that's depressing. No, I'm kidding. Um... <laughs> Mark, uh, we have a very short, it seems, uh, review here. My favorite kind, and it's from Megatron Nom Nom. So, I mean, obviously someone who appreciates food. Uh, and it's five out of five stars. And Megatron writes, I love this podcast. Short yeah. and sweet. Thank you, Megatron Nom 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 Nom. Well, speaking of uh, food and sweet things, uh, we asked last episode for... A like we like to talk about food, and uh, Dane, one of our listeners, felt uh, free to send us a recipe. So he sent us a recipe for brownie in a mug. Mark, how do you feel about that? Um, I've seen it before. Um, yeah, um, you know, if you got to do it in a mug, might as well do brownie in a microwave. Um, why don't you Why don't you share the recipe, Dan? This is like a personal pan brownie. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to share the recipe on here, but if you look at our show notes, you'll get the recipe there. But, Mark, we, we, we'll just say this. We have not tried this yet, so uh, you're going to yeah, have to let us know. We can't vouch for the quality of this. And, and you know, no, I'm not going to offer any commentary. I should try it first. And then, so, you know, maybe I'll try and put a version of this together, Dan, and I'll get back to everyone. That sounds good to me. So let us know if this recipe that you can find in the show notes works out for you guys. So thanks, Dane, for the recipe. Mark, we got another email. Uh, Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, this is uh, related uh, to the Marvel movie verse. Um, And the question is, guys, the Vulture is the villain or one of the villains in Homecoming. Do you think Spidey's quick battle with Falcon in Captain America Civil War and the relative ease with which Spidey immobilized Falcon diminishes the threat that Vulture can pose? Keep carrying on. Carry on. A great show. Kevin Ewing. Um, 
I mean, Dan, do you want to go first? I mean, I, I, I kind of have a no prize lined up for this one, but I don't know what, what your thoughts on this are. I mean, I think it's a good point. Um, and something that I think, you know, anybody thinking about the Vulture, even in the comics, is I never felt like the Vulture posed like a real genuine threat to Spider-Man because he's really just like an air mobile guy, which is like kind of a base power for most villains or most heroes, you know, in the Marvel Universe, just the ability of flight. But, uh, yeah, that's a good question if we've seen him dismantle the Falcon so quickly. Um, I honestly think that the Vulture is going to be a little different than people are used to him being. I suspect the life theft element is going to play into the plot of the movie, and we're going to see some, like, age absorption powers, um, perhaps, or something kind of supernatural to that element to kind of soup up the Vulture. Um, That's just my take. I could be totally wrong. I have nothing backing this it's just something I feel with my gut. Yeah, because when in doubt, let's turn to, to 90s Marvel. There you go. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'll just say in terms of no prize winning here, I mean, you know, in the movie, when the heroes were fighting each other, I mean, they were kind of pulling their punches with each other. So, I mean, you can make the case that Falcon was not going full throttle after Spider-Man here and kind of allowed himself to be taken by surprise, whereas I, I feel that... Uh, whatever iteration of the vulture we, we receive here, he's going to be much more malicious and aggressive. Um, so I don't think that that diminishes the threat of the villain. Yeah, much. You know, it also has to be said if it's Michael Keaton, you know, that guy could sell just about anything. So you know, I, I, even if he's not like physically imposing, like performance-wise, he'll probably be pretty frightening. Absolutely. I mean, you know, who who wasn't frightened in multiplicity? Yeah, there you go. But I mean, like, talk, think about like Alfred Molina as Doctor Octopus. I, I feel like that villain could be could have been very goofy, and and you definitely couldn't have bought it. But that you know, Alfred Molina sells that character so hard in that that movie. Like you know, uh, and I hope we get the same thing from Michael Keaton. I think we will, because there's no Topher Grace Venom in this movie yet. Yeah, well, well, we'll see. We'll see that yeah. that cast list is growing by the day. I who won't be in this upcoming movie? I I can't keep up with it anymore. All right. Well, we'll see. Um, Dan, do we want to go home after homecoming here? Yeah, that sounds good. A short and sweet uh, episode. Uh, like like Nom Nom's comment to us. There you go. There you go. Look at this. We are becoming the masters of the segue. Okay. Well, take it away, Dan. Oh, okay. Is that what we're doing now? That's what we're doing. I totally torpedoed this thing. That's all right. All right. Well, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a review and we'll read it on the air like we just did. Additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. And also, be sure to join our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club so you can get all kinds of amazing prizes, listen to our members-only podcasts like the ones you heard last week, and support the continuation of our show and website. Well, next week, Dan, we will be discussing our next Essentials pick, This time, it's your choice. And uh, what are we going to read, Dan? 
Yeah, well, we kind of announced this uh, before, but you know, we'll say it again because we kind of pushed our schedule a little bit. Uh, we're going to be reading Amazing Spider-Man number 226 and 227 by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr., also known as But the Cat Came Back and Going Straight, which are, I guess, to my mind, the most definitive Black Cat stories ever written. So uh, we're going to be talking Black Cat, but we're not going to be talking about the time that Black Cat's mother met Spider-Man and approved of him dating her daughter. Oh, have a milk bath, dear. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right, Dan. Well, where can we find you on the interwebs? Yeah, of course, you can find me at superiorspidertalk.com, reviewing comics and writing news pieces and all that fun stuff. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk and read all of my movie reviews at GrindMyReels.com. How about you, Mark? Yeah, Dan, you can find me at superiorspidertalk.com. Not so much chasingamazingblog.com, but, you know, the site still exists. So if you want to do that that backwards reading that Dan was discussing, it's there for you, people. So don't forget about it. Uh, and then you could also follow me on Twitter at chasingasmblog. Uh, I don't write movie reviews, but if I did, I would just basically tell Dan that The Force Awakens is better than he thinks it is. <laughs> Basically, you would just tell me that everything I know is wrong. That's true. I, 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 I enjoy that you wrote a favorable review for West Side Story uh, on, what was that, Red, Redbox or whatever that was. Letterboxd. I, I Letterboxd. I didn't know if you were going to criticize it for being a little too much fan service to Romeo and Juliet. Um. <laughs> I actually prefer how its story works out to Romeo and Juliet's. Okay, you know, that's good. That's good. You know, like it's it's not an original story, but it, it, it you know, the characters really sell it and I'm I'm glad it's a great musical. Um you need to see you need to listen to Hamilton, Dan, as I discovered today. Um I'm glad I'm glad that you and I can come to an agreement on West Side story. There we go. Well, you know, it's kinda hard to argue with it. But Dan you know, and it, Mark approved if you were waiting and holding out on watching that movie. Ah, yes, Maria. The most beautiful sound I have ever heard. If I was not feeling like crap right now, Dan, I would sing it to you. All right. Well, you know what? I'm kind of glad you're not feeling well. Uh, uh, thank you. Because uh, I've heard you singing. Oh, no, maybe I haven't heard you singing. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, Mark, uh, this past weekend, you know, we didn't do a show because I was traveling back to Maryland to celebrate, you know, my engagement to my beautiful fiance and friend of the show, Amy. And my 30th birthday, uh, which meant, you know, reconnecting with my supporting cast. I, I, I mean, family and friends after months away from them. What's it like for you to reconnect with your supporting cast? I, I, I mean, family and friends after months away from them. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, like sometimes, Dan, you got to remember the, the job I have. You know, I'm a CEO of, uh, of this multinational company, Amazing Spider Talk. Um, and, um, you know, you lose sight of, of those things like family and, and spending time together. And, um, you know, in fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a nice little barbecue with some, some friends and family came by. It was, it was a great thing. Um, and, uh, we were playing an old wiffle ball game and, you know, my, my uncle Ben, I gotta tell you, he really gets into wiffle ball. Like, like he's like, not just when he's at bat. Because, I mean, you've seen guys swing a wiffle ball bat, Dan. It's kind of silly to look at, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so I mean, he's but he like gets into it like when he's like even in the field and stuff. He's like diving on his knees to get like ground balls and stuff like that. Does he like taunt people and call them names? Oh yeah, he's that guy. I mean, you know, you should see him in flag football too. But unfortunately, this time around, um, you know, I hit a high pop fly, and those wiffle balls—they never really go in a straight line. They kind of it's whiffling and waffling in the air, and he's chasing after it, and he's like pushing down some of my little cousins, telling them to get out of his way. And he's not looking in front of him, Dan. And he tripped and just completely belly flopped onto the open grill, um, searing, his, searing his flesh terribly. Um, needless to say, we didn't eat the burgers that night because, you know, Uncle Ben was incinerated uh, on our grill. So it would have been in poor form. Um, but, I, I would say so. Yeah, yeah well, you know. We, we we tried to be a little polite. I mean, I was disappointed. I had made some killer turkey burgers. I didn't realize that I would be killing my uncle on the grill. But the good news is before, you know, he completely went up in flames, he said, with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. 